0: Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. I think I skinned my knuckles
1: using that tire iron. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. Is it me that changes the tire, or the tire that changes itself?
2: And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Ben, you should have listened to me when you were using the tools. And
0: you, dear listener, are the driver, and we'd really appreciate it if you would try avoiding the potholes.
2: Today's quote is by Marcus Aurelius. The happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts.
0: Last week, we discussed how the brain is wired and what cognitive behavioral therapy was. Today, we thought we'd talk a little bit more about how to use CBT on your own or with a therapist. We ended the last session talking about some questions to help you explore your thoughts and feelings in a general way, but not what to do with what
1: you discover. So, Don, why don't you start us off with those questions? Okay, These questions are the opening tools for becoming a detective on your own behalf. You would use them when you notice you're not getting the outcomes you want in your life. For these to be of any use, you have to notice you are not getting the outcomes you want and accept responsibility for changing it, whether or not you think it's your fault.
2: Wait, does that mean we have to take personal responsibility?
1: Yes, yes, you do indeed have to take personal responsibility. Oh, man. That's actually one of the taglines of this particular
0: podcast. And I mean, joking aside, I think it's fair to point out that that's a pretty, that's kind of a high bar to start with. So like yes. this is, this is not something necessarily you could just jump into from nothing. You need to have some awareness and some, right. y- you need to have a desire to change.
1: Exactly. You have to have the desire to change. That's really the key thing. If you are an alcoholic you won't stop using alcohol until you decide you don't want to use alcohol. If you overeat, you're not going to change overeating until you decide that that's what you want to do. If you overspend, same thing. No one else can make you do that. That's actually one of the things that's frustrated me for a long, long time. I can't change anyone. I can only invite them and encourage them and teach them how, but they have to actually do it. All right, What are the questions. You got to take personal responsibility. You got to decide, I want to change this. And then these questions become important. They are, when I behave like this, what response do I hope for from others? When I behave like this, what am I thinking about myself, the other person and the situation? When I behave like this, what am I feeling about myself, the other person and the situation? These questions help you discover thinking that is counterproductive to what you want to achieve. You will also discover emotions that drive your thinking into unproductive paths. So this is kind of to suss out what the
0: problem is. Yes. The first step towards Mm -hmm. arriving at a solution. What's an example of a problem? What kind of behaviors are you using this for? What's the thing that I'm trying to notice about myself?
2: So if we look at this and look at like a key thought right? One of our beliefs that seems to have kind of gotten ingrained, let's just go with, I'm not likable, so I don't have friends. If that's the key thought that you're noticing as a recurring problem and you want to change it, you start with those questions. And then you move to understanding your role in this and your feelings. The first thing you need to identify are what are your feelings around this and how can I put them to one side so that I can truly engage with understanding the cognitions I have.
0: Okay, so we're taking our feelings, we're understanding them, and then we're kind of putting them to the side so
1: we can not so focus much putting more them, on the... Not so much putting them to the side. It's more like managing them so that they become... They don't interfere as much. Right. They become less energized so that we can think through our behavior cognitively.
2: Right. So if you think about it uh, from last week when we were talking about the different levels of the brain and we're taking our emotions and we're soothing them enough that we can use that Cortex and think through what are all of these emotions I'm having? Because our emotions are very strongly linked to physical experiences. Uh, when you're anxious, you know, it's harder to breathe, your stomach feels upset. We talked about that last week. And this is looking at the techniques to soothe those emotions so that you have access to your cortex in order to think through what's happening that has led me to this space.
0: Cool. So, what are these techniques?
2: Well, they are including but not limited to breath control, mindfulness, progressive muscle relaxation, self-soothing, self-compassion, boundary management, and emotional resilience.
0: And of course, a lot of those encompass a wide range of kind of sub-skills and techniques too.
2: Correct. And you'll notice that all of them have kind of that quiet introspection aspect to it. And that's really what you want to get into is if you're doing this work, you want to find a space where you can be introspective. This is not the work to do on your way to work on your commute in the car. That's not the space. You want to set aside space dedicated to addressing this and turning inwards and taking responsibility for the thoughts and actions that you're having.
0: You don't want me to meditate on my way
1: into work? Please don't. Or when operating heavy equipment. Hmm.
2: As you take time for this, you need to begin to examine negative thoughts or inaccurate thinking, such as that recurring thought that nobody likes me and I don't have any friends. When you're having these repetitive thoughts, they become beliefs and it begins to act like it's not a question. It's just a statement of existence. And that's what you actually have control over. (laughs) It's kind of a double-edged sword because... The more you have the thought, the more ingrained it becomes and the more you believe that it is the truth, but you also have power over those thoughts in how they interact with your world. Our beliefs are at the core of our troubles that we experience. If we are going to examine this repetitive thought, I'm not likable, so I do not have real friends. The first thing to do is look for evidence. Gather your facts. Let's see. So I I have people that I text every day. People approach me at work. People join me for lunch sometimes. That time that I hurt my knee when I was skiing and I was laid up for weeks, people came by. They cheered me up. They brought me food. I mean, tuna casserole is not food, but eh, you get me. All right. So here's some data. And we're looking at that. And it appears from the behavior of other people, I might at least be a somewhat likable person. These people have to like me in some way to come do these things or join me with these things.
0: Except the tuna casserole
2: person. Yeah, they might have been trying to kill me, but eh, we'll give them a pass. I like tuna casserole. Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) So with this fact gathering, I've created at least a little bit of doubt in my ingrained thoughts. Last week, we talked about Mario and fighting Bowser, right? So we've just collected one of our side characters, let's say Yoshi, as our facts. And the behavior speaking, well, you know, I have one power up to be able to fight Bowser. So people might possibly like me. The next question, what is it about my perception that does not experience these behaviors as friendship? This is kind of one of those weird questions and you really do need to sit with it for a while because it can be conscious or unconscious decisions based on really early life data. And it's been influenced and given to us by other people. So you need to sit down and really think about what is it about this that makes me feel uncomfortable or like they're not being my friends? Is someone bringing me something and giving me a gift perceived as I now owe them and it's not friendship because of this give take. Where did that come from? And you need to start questioning and really digging into where do these beliefs come from? And do I believe that they're still true?
0: This seems like a spot where someone might get kind of stuck without external influence to help process
1: and to help question these things.
2: And that's when you come into our office.
1: That really is the truth. That's why A therapist is needed for this many times. Not all of the time. Some of this you can do on your own and you can be quite successful with. But when it's really deeply ingrained and it's problematic and you can't shift it, get a therapist. They'll help you.
2: And there's, I mean, there are really cool workbooks out there that you can use, but there are some things where... It helps to have an unbiased third party who's trained in this to be able to help you challenge those thoughts and really explore different patterns that you might not have realized. So we've answered some questions. If we're looking for change, we have to use mindfulness and rehearse a different type of response. We talked, I think last week, about neuroplasticity.
1: Yes, we
0: did. Yeah, we talked about the brain.
2: We talked about brains and neuroplasticity. So Rehearsing new phrases to challenge those unconscious thoughts and these rehearsed behaviors looks like taking time to figure out what do you want to use instead? So instead of saying, I'm not likable and I don't have friends, what's a different thing that we could use? Perhaps I am likable. Perhaps this is friendship.
0: (laughs) I was just thinking... That that sounded kind of resigned, like, oh, this person who brought me tuna casserole, this is as good as friendship gets.
2: So I just didn't know. It starts that way sometimes. (laughs) It starts as feeling like you're faking it and feeling like you're just saying these words. But the more you start to rehearse those words and really focus on the behaviors, the more it starts to feel true. It takes a long time to build this. This is not an overnight process. So you have these neurons, they send electricity to each other in order to create thoughts.
1: Part of a neuron is the axon. This is a long spindly part. It ends at a spot that creates a synapsis with the next neuron. So the the two neurons don't actually touch, but there's a space where they send neurochemicals to send signals. And that becomes our thoughts.
2: Right. Along the axon is a thing called a myelin sheath. So the myelin sheath, creates basically shortcuts for electricity to travel faster down the axon. A thought that happens very frequently has a lot of myelin sheath down that axon because it happens so fast and the electricity has a faster route down the axon to the next neuron. The example I use when I'm teaching this to kids in my therapy office is the um, super fast trains in Japan that are like the light trains, are like pew, uh, pew, pew. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the super fast thoughts that you have. They're the ones that you've rehearsed a lot. So they happen without thinking through it. The ones that you haven't rehearsed, so the thoughts that we're talking about now of I'm likable, this is what friendship is like, perhaps I'm a cool person, something like that. Those thought patterns don't have as much myelin sheath as the fast ones. They're kind of like those really sketchy subways that you can find in London where you have to walk down like two flights of stairs and then like this rickety staircase and there's some bugs and maybe you might die. That's what it's like on that end. But the more you go that route and the more you choose to go and find this train and go on this new adventure, the cleaner that subway gets and the easier it is to find it and go there instead. So as you build that thought process, it becomes easier easier and faster to go down that route instead of the negative cognition.
1: And interestingly enough, the negative cognition attenuates. It actually gets smaller. It shrinks. The myelin sheath shrinks and the connections shrink. Plasticity. yeah, Science. Cool. Nonetheless, it takes work. (laughs) It takes effort to do all of that.
2: And it takes choosing to put that effort in. And more than once, again, the repetition of this is what builds this. If you choose one time to be like, I'm a cool person, but don't believe it and don't continue to do it, it's not going to stick.
1: And this takes mindfulness. You need to be aware of the thoughts you're having and aware of the behavior you're engaging in.
0: Yeah, and Kim was talking about mindfulness a little bit earlier. So that's a key element and we talk about it a lot. But what does it
1: mean? Mindfulness is a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. Thank you, Oxford English Dictionary. That's the most succinct description of how mindfulness is used in psychotherapy. So let's break that down just a little bit. It's awareness using all five senses of the present moment without reference to the past or the future only the now. The reason that's important is because a lot of our beliefs, a lot of this negative thoughts come from past experiences and past thinking. And that will cloud our experience of what's actually happening now in this moment. So it's, mm-hmm. it's the discipline of bringing your awareness to the present time and really noticing all of the, the sensory experiences that you're having. It also includes the calm acknowledgement and acceptance of your feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. That would be a nice way to live all the time. Notice that judgment is missing in that sentence. Most humans spend the majority of our thinking time in judgment and comparison of self and or others. This is a poison to happiness.
2: Social media.
1: Oh, social media is a killer. Absolutely a killer to all of this. It has magnified that judgment and comparison. It's amazing. And it was designed to do that, unfortunately. I don't think that they expected it would become that bad. But anyway, that's a whole different topic. The judgment and comparison is a poison to your happiness. And most of the people who come see me tell me they want to be happier. So this is a key element to doing that. Now, let's talk a little bit about what we mean by accepting. Accepting your emotions does not mean letting them run wild. It does mean awareness of what you are feeling and using appropriate ways to express these emotions. You've heard me talk about it before as emotional literacy. It may include challenging the emotional response to the situation to change how you feel about that situation. There's an acceptance and a challenge. I know where I am. I know what I'm feeling now and I want to feel something different. So think of this like when we were doing, we talked about systematic desensitization last time, an approach to becoming less afraid of a particular thing like spiders. This is where I accept I'm afraid of spiders, and I slowly move that to where I can deal with spiders without being afraid of them.
2: Which is what I just did right before this podcast. (laughs) I used a vacuum cleaner and... Got that spider right on out of here.
1: Is that the vacuum cleaner behind you? And what do I notice coming out of it?
2: Listen, there's a reason I'm not looking. (laughs) Because I'm not entirely sure he made it in there.
1: The spiders can't get you when you're not looking. All right. So accepting your thoughts does not mean ignoring information that demonstrates your thoughts are incorrect. It does mean noticing what you are thinking and actively looking for data that would refute, adjust, or support your thoughts. This is a key thing. This is the, you know, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. You have to examine how am I responding to things? What's going on around me? What new data tells me that something is different? So all of those things are the elements that come to mindfulness. Does that help, Ben? Yeah,
0: makes sense. All right. So we've got the questions to ask yourself to figure out a negative behavior that you want to change. And then we've got the techniques to handle your emotions so that you can get to your thoughts and work cognitively on the behavior. And we talked about mindfulness, which is kind of part of that, right? Part of managing your emotions, but also managing your thoughts, kind of managing all of it, having control over your thoughts and emotions about this behavior that you're trying to change. But we've done a lot of talking and we haven't actually talked about the behavior part. So how does that fit in?
2: Well, the behavior is the beginning and the end of this. You first notice some behavior that you don't like. So you start on this adventure of making change and you come to a behavior that you do like. Oh man, this makes me want to geek out about positive and negative feedback loops. (laughs) As you go through this process, you might come to a new behavior. And as you start to get comfortable in that behavior, you might notice this isn't the behavior I really want. And then you keep making this change. It's an ongoing process.
0: You mean you could do all this work and then end up with a behavior you still don't want?
2: It's possible. Well, and
1: change
0: is iterative. But then you keep going.
1: Yeah. Change is iterative. It's continually growing and expanding. So this is
0: more like I'm not likable and I don't have any friends moves to I might be likable and I guess I have a few friends and then moves to I think I am likable and I've got a bunch of friends.
2: Yes. And the technique for that that I use in therapy is bad, better, best. So bad thought is I'm not likable. Better is all right, I could be likable. Best, I am likable.
0: But it's not like... I'm not likable. And then the next behavior is, I hate dogs. (laughs) Hopefully you don't go so far off the rails applying CBT to yourself. Well, so I mean, if you're not
2: likable and you then decide you also don't like dogs, that's a reinforcing one. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Actually, we might be treating you for psychosis at that point. But hey, so how do we figure out what's a, a good new behavior to go after?
2: When you're looking for more behaviors... Find people who are getting the outcome that you want and notice their behaviors. If you're continuing with our thought from earlier of I'm not likable, I don't have friends, uh, you might look to people who you think have good friendships or are sociable and notice what they do. They might be talking to their friends frequently, listening to them. I mean, obviously listening is a very important thing if you haven't noticed by now they might actually do nice things for them, like bringing them tuna casserole.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can bring me tuna casserole.
2: I I will not. By doing this, you're curating behaviors that you can then incorporate into your life. And then you do an inventory of the behaviors you are doing and compare them. Are you doing anything that matches or mirrors what these other people are doing? Now, if you're leaving, you know, bags of dog poop, on the neighbor's doorstep, like, no, this is the opposite of what friends are doing. But if you're leaving tuna casserole on their doorstep, perhaps you are doing a better job. Also understanding that your behaviors are also influenced by your bodily response. These are new behaviors. You might feel really uncomfortable and really scared when first starting this. If you're working on creating new friendships, the thought of going up and talking to someone and trying to engage in that conversation might really set off that anxious response, remembering deep breathing, the physiological soothing that we've talked about in the past, and using that to bring your sympathetic nervous system back down to level before engaging in these things and using that continuously to be able to build these behaviors and change your life.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed this deeper dive into cognitive behavioral therapy. Remember, first you need to ask yourself some questions to identify negative behaviors that you wanna change. Then you have to do some work to gain control of your thoughts and emotions around that behavior. Mindfulness is a big part of that. And CBT begins and ends with a behavior. First, you notice something you'd like to change and at the end, hopefully you've created a new behavior that's healthier and more positive. Thanks for listening and we hope this was a helpful episode. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And if you've got suggestions for episode topics, we're always available at questions at afpsych.com. Until next time, enjoy the drive.
3: Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com.
1: Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you, may the wind be always at your back, and may the sun shine warm upon your face.